Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Australia has done remarkably well in shutting down the spread of COVID-19. So far, we've been able to manage and contain the spread of the virus itself. Now the focus shifts very much to how we get Australia back to work. But are we mentally prepared to get back out into the real world? To be honest, I'm dreading it. I mean, I have found this strange work-life balance. The prospect of restrictions easing really makes me kind of sad. I was actually really nervous to leave the house. Today, we're going to take a look at re-entry anxiety and why some of us are not too keen to rejoin society now that coronavirus restrictions are being scaled back. Today, the state of emergency ends in Victoria. Premier Daniel Andrews saying now is when they will start looking at winding back restrictions. Yesterday, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk brought in the easing of gathering numbers, allowing groups no larger than five, just in time for Mother's Day. On Friday, the National Cabinet met to discuss easing restrictions across the country as Australia's infection numbers steadily decrease. Step one will enable greater connection with friends and family, allowing gatherings of up to 10 people and five guests in your own home. Working from home if it works for you and your employer. It will see children back in classrooms and in playgrounds in their communities. Golfers back on the green. Lap swimmers back in the pool. Boot camps back in the parks. Retail and small cafes and restaurants reopening. But while some are champing at the bit to get back to whatever normal looks like on the other side of all this, there are a substantial number who are happy to stay right where they are. When Mamma Mia boss Mia Friedman told staff that the new office premises we'd moved into during self-isolation was available for people to attend in small groups while responsibly socially distancing from each other, she didn't get the response she thought she'd get. We thought everyone would want to come back, right? But most people haven't, and that has been echoed in workplaces across the country. In fact, a recent survey shows only 40% of Aussies would head out to eat in a restaurant right now. Less than one in five would willingly get on a plane if travel restrictions were lifted today, and just 12% said they'd attend a large event. And while for many people it's because they're worried about coming into contact with potentially infected strangers, others say the glimpse of a life they could potentially be living while in self-isolation is something they don't want to give up. I've been able to do things that I don't usually have time to do and it's been really good for my mental health. Work can be flexible to fit around our lives. It's just that employers and the way that we work has this old notion of you need to be seen to be doing something. Associate Professor Jodie Oakman is the head of La Trobe University's Centre for Ergonomics and Human Factors. 
whose research focuses on the impact of work and organisations on employee health. Jody, has this COVID-19 experience just shown some people something they thought was impossible and that is a more flexible working arrangement? Yes. It depends on what sort of work you're doing. For some of us who have been able to transition to working at home, it has shown that we can do lots of things from our homes that perhaps our employers and maybe even us thought weren't possible. So yes, it has given us some insights into what is possible. Can you understand now people who maybe don't want to give that up? I think it's to me very interesting because for some people who haven't worked at home before, it has shown that you can do most of your job remotely. And so you're minus perhaps what's a long commute. We're also minus lots of other complicating things at the minute because we don't have any dilemmas about socialising, getting kids to after school activities, lots of things because we can't do them. We've made our lives basically much more simple. And there are absolute downsides to that. But there are some upsides too. Life has a straightforwardness to it that we haven't perhaps seen for a long time. What are some of the practical fears for people returning to work? I mean, you mentioned the socialising part of it. What are some of the practical things that people might be worried about on the return to work on the other side of all this? I think returning is complicated because this is returning into an environment that is different to what we knew before. Now we're thinking about going back into a work environment. Perhaps we're going into an environment where we're going to have to make decisions about how we interact with people, how our desk office setup is is undertaken. If we're in open plan offices, how's this going to work? Are we going to commute on the train or public transport? Where am I going to sit? How am I going to deal with people? So there's a whole lot of different levels of our working life and our social life that are now going to require some negotiation, some reframing about how we do that. And that that's complicated. People are going to have to make lots of decisions. So with that comes a level of anxiety about how it's all going to play out. Is negotiation the key here for those people who are not keen to rush back out into the big wide world? Should we be sitting down with our bosses and discussing about whether we can continue to work from home or whether it's an option to do more regularly? I think negotiation and open communication with one's manager is paramount here. And I think that we should be doing things in stages, not changing everything at once. I think it's really important, staggering start times, not everyone working in the office at the same day, those sorts of things. And they're all going to require discussion with our managers. This is interesting because some managers who would have been resistant to working at home in the past will now go, hopefully, this might work. For some, the transition back to a form of post-COVID-19 normal isn't appealing, not because they'll miss their newfound work-life balance, but because they're scared of what it's like out there now. And they don't understand why there are people who are so keen to throw open the door so quickly. I would have to be dragged out of the house because I felt really safe in the four walls. Look, I'm excited to see everyone, but at the end of the day, I'm very happy in my own space. So I am quite nervous about getting back into everyday business as usual life. Dr Paul Harrison is a senior lecturer and the unit chair of consumer behaviour in the Department of Marketing in Deakin Business School. 
Paul, why does there seem to be two teams of people in this, those keen to go slowly, slowly, and those wanting to get back out there ASAP? Well, I don't think that there are two teams. I think that there are probably all sorts of different teams depending on the information and the time of day. And I think that's the nature of human behaviour. It's very nuanced. But what we like to do is we like to be able to say, well, what do we feel? And we like a definitive answer. So that's probably why the feeling is that there's these two extremes, when in fact, I think if you drill down and talk to people more deeply, they actually do start to kind of waver in between the two, depending on how they're feeling, depending on even the information they're getting at a particular period in time. And as new information emerges, people tend to at least adapt and adjust their, what we might call their kind of foundational standpoint. Surveys have shown that people are really hesitant about a few areas, things like attending an event where there will be a lot of people, getting on a plane, sitting down in a bar or a restaurant. Is that because we can't control those situations where it's a lot more easier to control who you come in contact with when you're only come in contact with the people in your house? Yes, exactly. Humans are desperate for control. I think, again, there will be people who really want to do it, but I do think that there are certain parts of life that we might also see as peripheral to living a good life. When life was normal or back what it was three months ago, these were kind of things that we had absorbed into what we thought was a normal life. But I think what's happened is that people have now recognised what's important. They've found other ways to entertain themselves. they found other ways to kind of live a life. And the mere fact that so many people are living different lives has actually been a really interesting experiment in human behaviour because people have gone, oh, okay, I can adapt. And I think People will eventually go back to pubs and cafes and festivals and things like that, but they're probably also looking for assurances that it's safe. I think we'll see the number of cases go up and down, and I think, again, that will influence different people. We kind of find that some people are risk-averse, other people are risk-taking, but it's not consistent across all behaviours. So you might be risk-averse in some aspects of your life, but a risk-taker in others, and that's probably what we'll see. Is there any way of knowing how this experience might affect our confidence long term? Like, will we always be slightly suspicious of each other now when we're out and about how close people are in our personal space? I think it will take time. I mean, we're probably in this for the next year or two. And the only way to kind of understand that is to see how these kind of coronaviruses and SARS viruses and things have played out in other countries. Australia, I think, will be an interesting one because we're certainly not as extreme in the individualism that you have in the United States. But I think, you know, a way to think about our culture is that we're influenced by a whole range of both collectivist and individualist cultures, and therefore we'll find the Australian way to do things. And I think that this is with us. This kind of behaviour and tentative steps is with us for at least a couple of years. We might go back to a kind of form of equilibrium, but I think certainly in this generation there will be a memory of what a international global pandemic feels like in a way that nobody in Australia really had experienced before, and I think that will influence how we behave. How do you think that behaviour will change if and when a vaccine is found? I think that's a really interesting one. I think the first one is the if, because we are relying on this idea that the vaccine will change our behaviour. I think the longer it takes, the more we will modify our behaviour, and, you know, there are still many ifs about it. So, I mean, in human behaviour and kind of behavioural science, when we do research, we don't say everybody behaves the same way. Again, there will be people who will behave as if there's a vaccine now. But I do think 
that that will certainly give a paradigm shift in the way that people interact in the world if there is a vaccine and if people get the vaccine. I guess what that will mean is that we will probably go back to a more normal or more typical way of life to what it was six months ago. But I still think that there will be adaptations and crises like these shift human behaviour and nobody wants these crises, but sometimes just the mere fact that these crises happen, people change their attitude, the way legislation and policy is constructed changes, the way businesses work. And, you know, we will see huge changes in the way businesses work just as a result of the fact that we've been forced to do this. And if you look at history and the changes in human behaviour, you can see that a lot of the time these schisms in the way that the world works has dramatic changes on how people behave. But ultimately, it then falls back to what we might call an equilibrium, you know, within a generation or something like that, which is as people become more disconnected from those crises, the behaviour then becomes a little bit more self-centred and individual, particularly in the kind of individualist cultures. What this time in history has shown us is that many of the things we were told were too hard or too expensive or just not an option are actually none of those things. We can prioritise the more vulnerable people in our communities. We can have a better work-life balance. Banks can suspend mortgage payments and big companies can stop charging late fees during times of financial hardship. We can drive less, pollute less, waste less. There are governments who are now looking at rebooting their economies with the environment at the forefront of their thinking. And it seems we've hit some sort of reset button where we can see how changes to our behaviour could affect the entire planet, our environment, our mental health, our well-being. And if we rush back to our pre-COVID behaviour, we might just miss our window to make real, long-term, world-changing decisions. So as we wait for further restrictions to be eased and we take our first tentative steps back out into post-COVID Australia... Psychologist and host of Mamma Mia's anxiety course, Amanda Gordon, has this advice. The best way to live one's life is to be mindful of it in the present. If you're going to spend all your time dreaming about what it might be when I next get on a plane and go overseas, or what it might be when it next happens, then you're missing now and you really don't know what's going to happen in the future anyway. So the best way to adjust to anything in life is to be mindful of how you're living now. And I think part of the problem is that many people haven't been. So I would suggest as a psychologist, the key to living a good life is to live every day as a good life and not spend your time thinking about what the future may bring. However, we have, or many of us, have had the opportunity to reflect on, are there good things that have come out of this that I do want to move forward to the future? And one might be a lesser consumerism, although that hasn't been the case with everyone because many people have been just shopping online instead of in the stores. But for some people, it's a lessened consumerism. For some people, it's a, I'll walk more every day because it's actually something that's been good for my well-being. And I didn't think I had the time before, but I'm going to make the time. For some, it's going to be, I really know who are valuable in my life and I'm going to ensure that I really protect and care for those people, perhaps in a way that I'm more mindful of now than I was before. Those sorts of plans, I think, can be really helpful. This 301st episode of The Quickie was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. 
to dive into our 300 previous episodes, you can find us at mamamia.com.au forward slash the quickie.